Welcome to Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. In this program, we want to encourage you in your Christian faith by showing how scientific evidence supports the Bible, particularly the Genesis account. The book of Genesis lays the foundation for all matters addressed in the rest of the Bible. The nature of God, His sovereignty in creation, man's purpose, sin, marriage, family, and why we need a Savior are all introduced and explained in Genesis. When we see that the first and most foundational book of the Bible can be trusted in all matters, including science, it builds confidence in the rest of the inspired Word all the way to Revelation. On today's show, we'll get to hear from Dr. Tim Clary, geologist and research associate with the Institute for Creation Research. Here's Dr. Clary. Today, we want to talk a little bit about the global flood. A lot of people wonder, was the global flood real? Did it really occur like the Bible describes? What really happened during the flood? Was it only local? A lot of students go to school and they learn that the flood wasn't really a real thing. They learn that the Bible's story about the flood is just a story. It wasn't true. But in reality, when we look at the rocks, we see a different story altogether. We see the flood was real. Unfortunately, many evolutionary scientists will try to intimidate many Christians into accepting these long ages for the earth, long ages for the rock layers. But in fact, again, we see that the rock layers don't tell us the ages. They just show layers and layers of rocks, just like bricks on a wall. Sadly, many evangelical leaders in many Christian schools and many Christian colleges actually deny the global flood, and they teach a local flood, and they teach old earth concepts instead of what the Bible shows about the global flood, and the flood was recent, just thousands of years ago. Evolutionists, and unfortunately many Christians, deny the truth of the book of Genesis. They deny the truth of the Word of God, where in Psalm 119 it says, Thy word is true from the beginning. And Jesus himself said in John 17, 17, Thy word is truth. So we can believe the Bible, and we can also believe the rocks. My research involves looking at the rocks. I'm doing a global study starting continent by continent. And in this segment, we're going to talk about North America. What if I found North America? Does it really verify the global flood? So I want to impress upon you that the flood was, in fact, a real event. It did happen just thousands of years ago. And all my research and all the rocks that I see show that it was a global flood. Secular scientists admit that there were six floods, and they call these mega sequences or six different flooding events that came in and across the continents each time. And as these floods came in, they don't believe that it ever flooded all the Earth, though. They believe it flooded parts of North America, parts of the world. But these came in almost like tsunami-like waves of water that came in over millions of years, they say, and then washed back. But the rocks themselves, again, don't show the millions of years. They just show these sequences stacked on top of each other, or these mega sequences. So we're going to look at these as just the way the rocks were laid down. We're going to start out with what do the rocks really show and look at these as chapters of the flood. So there are six different chapters that we're going to talk about, and they're all named after Native American tribes, the Sauk, the Tippecanoe, the Kaskaskia, the Absarica, the Zuni, the Tejas. You may not remember all these names, but that's what we're going to kind of mention as we go through. But remember, throughout all of this study, the Bible tells us this all happened in one year's time. The flood happened in about 371 days. So there were no millions of years involved, and the rocks don't show that at all. We're going to look at data-driven science here. What I'm doing is I'm collecting data from cores and rock outcrops and seismic data and oil wells all over the earth. And in this segment, we'll talk mostly about North America. But if you were to drill a well right below your feet, all the way down to the crust, what are the rocks that are there? Limestone, sandstone, shale. That's what I'm recording in this database. And we're putting this in a big computer database, loads it all up, and we can look at the continent in kind of a three-dimensional view. We record 16 different rock types, 
and each of these mega sequences that I mentioned earlier. And what we've recorded across North America is nearly 600 columns between Greenland, Canada, and across the United States. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says in the 600th year of Noah's life, all the fountains of the great deep broke open, and the windows of heaven were opened, and rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And that's what these sequences show. They show evidence of that global flood the Bible talks about. In the first three, the Sauk, Tippecanoe, and Kaskaskia, we see very similar things. We see evidence of huge tsunami lake waves that crashed across the continent from one end to the other. The lowermost layer in the Sauk is the Cambrian rich rocks, the Cambrian sandstones and stuff we see in the Grand Canyon. And across Michigan, we see one big sandstone, like almost a blanket sand that goes from Newfoundland and Maine, all the way across most of the continental United States, all the way up into Canada, and actually into northern Greenland, northernmost Canada as well. A huge one sand. Secularists struggle trying to explain this, but the global flood, that's what you'd expect. Huge, massive layers of rock. We see the same thing in the tip of canoe. The next layer up, we see massive limestones and sandstone layers spread across the entire continent. And we see the same thing in the Kaskaskia, the next sequence out on top of that. We see mostly limestone in this case, spread across much of North America from Michigan to Arizona to Montana and across up into Alaska. So we see again and again these global processes, global sequences, and the fossils we see in these first three sequences, the Kaskaskia, the Tippecanoe, and Sauk, we see mostly marine fossils because that's the areas of the country and the world that were being flooded by the early flood segments. We don't see large dinosaurs. We don't see large mammals. We don't see land animals hardly at all. So if you add up the totals of the Sauk, Tippecanoe, and Kaskaskia, kind of the first of three of six sequences, we see a very thin layer down the middle of the country from Minnesota to Arizona and thick areas in the east and thick areas in the far west. When we return, we'll hear some final words from Dr. Clary. Stay with us. Dinosaurs are fascinating creatures. Seeing their fossils inspires a sense of awe and wonder that sparks the imagination. We're learning more about them all the time, but many questions still remain. Are dinosaurs really millions of years old? Did they live at the same time as humans? How do they fit with the Bible? And why are they extinct today? The Institute for Creation Research addresses these questions and more in their full-color and easy-to-read book, Guide to Dinosaurs. Guide to Dinosaurs delves into the history of dinosaurs, fossil discoveries, dinosaur kinds, and what the Bible has to say about these mysterious creatures. It serves as a helpful resource for parents and kids alike. Order your copy of Guide to Dinosaurs from the Institute for Creation Research by calling 800-628-7640 or visiting icr.org. That's 800-628-7640 or visiting icr.org. Welcome back to Science, Scripture, and Salvation. Here's Dr. Clary. As we continue our examination of the mega sequences across North America, we left off with the Absarica sequence, which is kind of the midway point of the flood. When you look at the sediments across North America, the way they were deposited in the Absarica, we see actually the sediments began to form actually in eastern North America where the ocean started to form. Now the Atlantic Ocean started to split as Pangaea started to break apart. We start to see sediments out in the east coast along the continental margins. We also see a change in sedimentation pattern across western North America. We see a lot more sediment coming from the west. And so most of the western North America is covered with the Biserica rocks. Uh, these are the rocks through the Permian, Pennsylvanian systems that you hear about and up into Canada. At the same time, it was a time of transition where the continental crust was actually changing dramatically. You were getting the oceans to form. New ocean crust was forming and splitting up that supercontinent of Pangaea at this time. 
And that caused major shifts in the sedimentation, so we see much of the sediment coming from the west. We see the first evidence of major sand waves, huge sand waves across North America and across the world. Sand waves that were on the orders of tens of feet high, them southern deposits. And when you go to Zion National Park, you can see these big cross-bedded sands. The secularists say these are from arid sand dunes, but they in fact show evidence of water deposits. The angles fit better with water deposits. Large, huge sand waves, some big sand waves washing across North America with the water. We also see the first appearance of coal beds, extensive coal seams that's showing up in the Pennsylvania in the basal part of the Absarica. And then we see those coal seams continue throughout the rest of the rock record. If we go to the next sequence, the Zuni, which is on top of the Absarica, we see, again, a similar story. We see a lot of sediment coming from the west. And this is the sequence that buried and finally entombed all the dinosaurs around the world and in North America as well. So a lot of the dinosaurs are buried in the American west because that's where the sediments are being deposited at that time. We look at the fossils in the Zuni and Absarica. We see something completely different from what we saw earlier. Earlier sequences were just marine. But now we're seeing land animals and marine land and marine mixed throughout. Even with the mighty T-Rex up in Montana, we see five species of sharks. We see all sorts of clams, marine influences as you're mixing these environments across North America and across the world. So the first appearance of land animals really come in in the Absarica and the Zuni, but we're also adding in these marine fossils, these waves washed in from the ocean. And many of you might wonder, well, how did the dinosaurs survive up until this point? You know, this might have been day 100 of the flood, day 150 of the flood before we reached the high point, the Bible tells us. But that thin zone we talked about in our first segment across North America from Minnesota to Arizona, I kind of call that dinosaur peninsula. And that's where we see many of our dinosaur quarries are discovered across the American West from Texas all the way up to Montana. And so I believe the, the evidence is showing, the rocks are showing that this thin zone where there was very little sedimentation early was because this was still dry land early in the flood. And it wasn't until the Absarica Zuni that you started flooding this peninsula of land and actually kind of working your way from south to north across it. So we see the biggest deposits of dinosaurs, the largest congregation of them all in the same areas because that was the dry land. The dinosaur peninsula goes upward into what's now Canada, which I think was even higher ground at the time. So the reason we saw just marine fossils early in the rock record in the Sauk, Tippecanoe, and Kaskaskia is because those areas, I think, were already underwater. They're like a shallow shelf in the eastern U.S. and the western U.S. with this big peninsula of land coming down the middle from Minnesota to Arizona to New Mexico and across to Texas and Montana. That's where the dinosaurs were living in the pre-flood world. And then to the north, which even higher ground, probably what's now most of Canada, is where the humans and the mammals and things were living that we see a little bit later in the flood yet. So if we add these all up, it helps us explain the fossil record based on ecological zonation. So the earliest flood sediments in North America were the lowermost layers, giving us mostly marine fossils. And then as the water went higher, you covered over that dinosaur peninsula, and then you cover over the uplands a little bit later as the water went over the top. So the Bible tells us it took 150 days to reach the high point in the flood. It didn't just do 40-day flood in 40 days and you're done. It went on for over 371 days, but it went 150 days just to get to the high point. And then God made a wind to pass over the earth, he says in the Bible, and the waters assuage and the waters returned from the earth. So the water took a long time to go down, and that's when we get to the Tejas sequence. I believe the Tejas is evidence of the water receding. And here we see a lot of sediment offshore, a lot of sediment off the east coast in the Gulf of Mexico, and the mountains popping up all at the same time with lots and lots of volcanic activity. Most of the world's mountains, in fact, form at this time in the Tejas. 
very last sequence, which I believe, against the receding water. And in the Gulf of Mexico, we get a huge sand called the Whopper Sand that just shows up out there 200 miles offshore and surprised the oil and gas geologists, but they found 15 billion barrels of oil in that Whopper Sand that shouldn't be there. But if the water is receding fast enough, it's going to pour a lot of sand out into the Gulf. In the Tejas, we again see mostly mammals and marine fossils. Mostly mammals, the high points of the flood, the high pre-flood world was being flooded at this point and washing back. So we see the global flood was confirmed. The Bible was right all along. There was a global flood that covered the whole continents of the earth as you went from continent to continent. Thank you for joining us on Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a radio ministry of the Institute for Creation Research. That's all the time we have for our program today, but we would love to connect with you through our website at icr.org. For over 45 years, ICR has equipped believers with evidence of the Bible's accuracy and authority by showing how science supports the Genesis creation account. Our scientists research the evidence for creation and communicate their findings through books, articles, DVD series, and conferences. Please visit our website at icr.org for more information about the latest scientific discoveries, to subscribe to our free magazine and devotional, and to locate our next creation conference at a venue near you. All of this and more at icr.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to Science, Scripture, and Salvation on iTunes. Also, do us a favor and rate and review the show so that more listeners can find us. Thanks for listening, and God bless.